Hi everybody, this is Nancy Miller from My Creative Life, and today I'm so excited. I have Samantha Cotterell, who is an award-winning children's book illustrator and author on my podcast today. Hi, Samantha. Hi, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited just to share my story and just hopefully help inspire others that may be tuning in. Well, those of you who may not be familiar with Samantha's work, she just does these amazing 3D illustrations. I, I wanted to just give a little preface about how I found out about her work. So I'm doing this search and I started getting into cut paper illustrations. And it is such a small grouping of people who do this type of work and the ones that are at a huge, I mean, the level of intricacy and detail. So your name popped up at the top when I did a Google search. And so there's only a few people, but I was enamored. I was just like, these are beautiful. I just want to step into this world that she's created. And I went to your website and then did more digging and it was just um, fantastic. Um, but I don't want to keep talking. Can you tell the audience a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Uh, my name, like I said, you said, uh, Samantha Cotterell. I'm a picture book author and illustrator, and I work outside of my home in upstate New York. Um, I'm kind of the late bloomer, so to speak, in terms of picture books, as I didn't get my first children's book deal until I was 40. Um, and I'm now probably about, I think, <laughs> 12 to 13 books in. Um, and yeah, I just, I basically just work full time out of my studio at home and just try to create cranking out books. Wow. I mean, it's, they're beautiful. Anybody who's listening, please go check out her work. I'm going to have <laughs> links in the description box um, below this, but your 3D illustrations, I mean, to give the audience kind of the vision when I saw your work, it really brings me back to my childhood. I would like, I remember when I was a little kid, you get those diorama assignments and I would be that kid who would be like, oh, I can't wait to make a diorama. And, but yours are so intricate and so like um, magical and whimsical. And I go like, wow, I just feel like I've entered into this world you've created. What? Aww got you from doing, and I love your 2D work. I mean, uh, the, the little census series that you did 2D uh, illustrations with, um, I, they're just the gesture, the just descriptive feeling and um, emotions that I got from looking at the illustrations. But what made that leap for you? I assume you started with 2D and then jumped into 3D. Like what inspired you to create these worlds? Yeah, well, I think ever since I was young, I will always been super into three-dimensional worlds and it's kind of like what you said with childhood and it's just flooding back memories of when you're young and I was really really into uh the a dollhouse that my dad had built for me and I played with that dollhouse more so not the stories of creating imaginary situations but it was primarily designing and setting up scenes. And I did that with this dollhouse probably well into high school To Like I just, I've always had a thing for miniature, anything in 3D. And even when drawing with two dimensional uh, type approach, I always found myself 
yearning to cut it out and layer it because everything just always looks better in 3D. Uh, for me, that's just my personal uh, natural instinct is to always want to make things three-dimensional. That being said, two-dimensional is great because it's a nice avenue to just kind of feed into the 3D when you are going into that approach. So I do like working in both because it feeds one another. It kind of helps me uh, just to keep engagement, keep inspired just by switching back and forth. But I just gut-wise, intrinsically, always go towards 3D. It's just the way I am. <laughs> Because it's interesting to hear that, that you, because I always feel the same way. I go like, it looks better if it's 3D. <laughs> and I'm just like, I just like, I keep looking at, like, I'll go on Instagram and I'll look at people's work. I'm like, oh, that would be really nice if it was, like, it's even, it's, it's good work. But I was like, oh, if they just cut it out and put it into a scene. So, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, so I was so excited when my uh, first 3D yeah. book with Paula Wiseman books, uh, my editor, Sylvie Frank and Lizzie Bromley, I had pitched to them the idea of, what about, I just, if, if, would you be open to me doing this story in a 3D kind of scenario? Because I've always been wanting to do that. And they were just right away like, sure, give it a try. That sounds great. And giving me that green light to just experiment and figure that out was life changing because it just kind of helped me set on this path that really was what I wanted to journey down. And I just needed a little bit of a boost from within my publishing relationships to kind of give that a go. And I've always been grateful for that because ever since then, it's just been what I can learn, what I can experiment with just to keep exploring that avenue. And it's been such a great journey. Um, but the funniest part about it is the journey is within the world of miniature, cut-out paper, intricate details, yet I have rheumatoid arthritis, so I'm picking a medium that is probably the worst for my hands. Wow. So, so it's been interesting, for sure. Wow. I mean, because I... I looked at your 2D work, your 3D work. So like, how do you know how you're going to approach a story? It, it, because like, like little senses, those are 2D illustrations. And then you have other um, stories like the Rhino one that you did 3D. Like, do you, do, you, do how do you make that decision um, with that story that you're going to go in one direction or the other? Uh, I think it's just, um, it depends on the, like the little senses series, mm -hmm. I wrote as well. And those just had such a simplicity to them that the focus really needed to be on the words uh, with very simple visual cues for uh, input of information and just really trying to teach the concepts that I was trying to get across through those books that I felt like the more simple that I could be, the easier it would be for me to communicate the messages that I really wanted to get out to the readers. And whereas other stories that have either come my way or what have you, sometimes it's just reading the manuscript. If my brain just starts to immediately put things to 3D, then I kind of just know that's the path to explore. I think it just 
kind of intuitively happens when you just start reading something and your brain just starts to visualize it. Sometimes it visualizes it in 2D, uh, most of the time, 99.99%. <laughs> it visualizes in a 3D manner. And I guess it's just each project is its own individual thing. And you just kind of have to go with gut wise where you think it needs to go. Um, that being said, there were a couple books that I thought, oh, this would be great in 3D. And then once I started exploring it further and playing around, I realized, okay, maybe I just need to shelve that because it's really not working the way I thought it was gonna work. Let's go and try it in 2D. So I think it's also just having that open mind of uh, just being adaptable and working with going doing a back and forth and working with the manuscript and just kind of getting a feel for what is really working and what's not. Oh, so in the process with the 3D work, I was wondering how do you get the client to understand because I, I um, had checked with uh, like just other illustrators who work in 3D or with cut paper and they said it can be challenging so that the client is comfortable with the process like is there um how how closely do you work with like from your line to your you know your final is it you know that process to communicate to the client yeah well i've been really lucky in that my i'm just doing my fourth 3d book now and they're all with the same publisher with sylvie frank and lizzie bromley so yeah i've had a really great experience so far and I've been really lucky. I've had three now 3D books with Paula Wiseman books and then my second 3D book Just Add Glitter which was written by Angela Dieterlizzi that was with Beach Lane books and all of my experiences have been really wonderful in the sense that the communication was really great for working with them in regards to trying to illustrate how my work is going to look in 3D. So most often what I will do is when I've sketched out the dummy with the publisher, I would provide one final art example and that would give them a good sense to understand the jump from the sketch to final art uh, to give them a good idea of kind of how my brain is envisioning the work in the end. So that's been a really great way to communicate that uh, without with um, alleviate some anxiousness or nerves on their end on how it's going to turn out. Um, just add glitter. It just re it really turned out. It was just a beautiful book to work on, and the books with Sylvie and Lizzie Apolla. It's been a great experience with them in the sense that they've now gotten used to the way I work. And now that we're on our um, one, it's like one, two, <laughs> our fourth book together, they know my ins and outs. So it's getting easier and easier with every book because we've kind of figured out our own way of working. Um, my sketches tend to be very rough because I do like to go into finals with still a lot of room to experiment and play. And they really understand that, um, as did Beach Lane. So that's been really great. Um, 
my final arts, if I go into my sketches and I refine and refine and refine, and they're so detailed and so quote unquote finished, I find personally when I go into final arts, then I've lost that enthusiasm and I almost, I don't have the same motivation to just really push and pull and play with the image to where it can just elevate it if I allow myself a lot of open room, if that makes sense. I just like, so because of the 3D work, um, how do you know you're like, because I was imagining like, how do you figure out the sizes and the scale that you're going to work at in relationship because then it's produced on a, um, in a 2D flat surface book? How do you figure that out? Well, first, when I do the sketches, I know that everybody's different, but for me, I'm not after a while of doing it, you kind of just start to intrinsically know and have spatial relation in your head when you're sketching things out. But that being said, my first approach is just to sketch things the way I just, just even if as if it was 2D, just I just start to sketch the scenery. And then it, there's just an understanding that I know that when I'm translating it to 3D, some things are going to change some things are not going to work exactly the way that I've got on paper, but the main point is just to get the main message across of what I'm trying to communicate on that spread. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I'm going into finals, my setups can be quite large. I guess I would say on average, they're about maybe three feet by four feet. So they're big enough just because of my rheumatoid arthritis. Mm-hmm. I have had to work with my limitations and in regards to my hands I cannot do such detailed tiny work that would just make it impossible because of my finger so I had to find a way to still create these miniature paper worlds but in a scale that my hands would (laughs) allow me to do so they're quite large but when I use my camera the big thing for me is I will then when I set up my camera the frame, the the image on the back of the camera, the screen, is basically the size of an eight and a half by 11 picture book opened up. So what I will do is when I created my final spread, I will get my camera out, have all the lights set up, and then when I'm looking on the screen, then I can start moving things around a little bit because I do get a better sense of what it's gonna look like on paper when I'm looking at my camera, if that makes sense. So all your finals are, you're just um, sending digital, the digital photographs that you're taking. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I I feel it's funny because the 2D work is a much shorter process (laughs) for sure. Like when I've done a 3D book and then I switch to a 2D book, I'll go, oh my gosh, that just went by so fast. Like, wait that's that's done already like it, I mean it, it's just all in it's all relative but just because the steps within 3d I've got the sketching I have the cutting out the buildings I do it with my latest book thankful I've gotten even more into 3d building within the sets and I still have all my figures are drawn figures but the elements within the sets are more three-dimensional and 
so I've got that set up. I have that stage. Then I have the setting up the whole quote unquote diorama, which is quite large. Then I have the lighting and the photography and then the editing of the photographs. So it's just, there's so many steps involved, but I'm so into it that it doesn't feel like a lot of extra work. I just love the 3D world so much that while it may be more steps than the 2D, sometimes I find I have an easier time with that because I like to switch back and forth and it kind of works with my brain to kind of go from different aspects of photography, cutting out, drawing. So I really like the whole process. Wow. It just, it blows me away because people who do this type of your, your uh, technique, I mean, I did a kind of, um, I tried it and it was like, it's, it's, it's thrilling and it's kind of like um for me because it's the first time I'd ever it's a little nerve-wracking because I felt like yeah. I feel like I'm on a roller coaster and I don't know which direction because and it was yeah but at the same time it was like people were asking like how did you get that I was like oh well that's that's the that's spatial depth I mean it's not like I photoshopped that or whatever and there's something about it when you when you do like that depth and then playing with a camera's depth of field and things like that, that I feel like it feels more natural. I don't know if that makes sense. Like it versus like yeah. if I photoshopped it, you know, it, you can photoshop it and, but it just feels a little fakey. I, I don't know. Yeah. To me versus yeah. really do no, it. it's, I, I agree. And I just, I'm now I'm really antsy to get on this latest book because I've just finished taking another photography classes. I'm trying to keep holding my skills as I go further along. And uh, each time I do a book, I'm trying something new or I'm trying to get some more information on how I can take this to the next level. So it's been a really great journey. And in terms of paper artists in general, it's funny because I myself, I'm, I don't have a lot of, um, patience in the sense that when I see a lot of paper cut work that's all this detailed cut out work I'm always impressed because I don't have I'm more impulsive and more like I it, I would not be able to just sit and cut and cut and cut these intricate that would take forever to do I have to do things that are I have to go 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 so it's trying to find a way that I can create these miniature worlds in a way that suits my impulsive nature. <laughs> so. so how long does it take you to do like one of the, like for the spread in one of your books with the 3D? How, how long would you say like it took you to do the, the cutting and then staging it, lighting it, and then doing the editing if you needed in, um, or the digital file like how long would you say one illustration would take you oh I think it just all depends because they're all so different I mean it just it really depends on the spread and it also depends on how it's flowing and mm. sometimes there's one that will take uh, it can take two weeks for something to be built and that's a very long time for me I'm not good with things taking a really long time because then I start to get antsy and lose focus. So for me, a quick one is usually like a spot or a half spread. I can do that in a couple days, one or two days if I'm lucky. That's like a fast one. But the longest I would say is two weeks for one image. And that's, that's like really long for me. Uh, I have to 
kind of try to pace it a little bit more where I aim for two huge spreads a month, which are like the really big double spread details. And then a few extra smaller spots can fit within that same time frame. I'd say generally my sketching goes pretty quickly. I'm pretty quick at the sketching stage of coming up with the dummy. And so that usually takes me about three weeks or so. And then I just, plus my sketches are a little bit loose and open for finals. And then when I approach finals, I'd say on average four to six months would be the average amount of time for final art. And then I would have my editing of just going in and fixing, looking at the photos and just adjusting levels and exposure and color. That would probably be over like a few weeks. Oh, well, it's, it's, it's beautiful at the end, the results. I'm just like, those little rooms, like, um, I, I go like, oh my goodness, I just, I don't know, it's just beautiful. I just amazes me that you do all of that, and it really, to me, it's like a short period of time, because you're building it out. It's almost like, I go like, it's like she's a set designer, like, you know, I imagine what set designers would do for like, you know, for a Broadway show or something like that because yeah. it's like oh. you, you have I know I always feel like I I feel if I could go back a little bit yeah. in time I would also I wish I had like Wallace and Gromit like I'm obsessed with art man and just stop stop motion animation like that kind of thing yeah. I've always been fascinated with and I just love those kinds of worlds so I always think that my other side of me would be getting into like set, like exactly what you said, uh, like set design. And I've just always loved that. It just spaces. I've just loved spaces. Uh, it's just something that really, um, it, it just really attracts me. Well, I mean, I, it just amazes me. And then the size of your work, how do you how do you store that? I mean, do you, yeah, because I just imagine like, oh, you must have like this room just filled with these um, beautiful uh, illustrate 3D illustration. Like, where do you, how do you store that? Well, it's funny. A lot of people will ask me, what do you do with all the sets and the objects? And most of it either gets, like, uh, to be honest, most of it gets reused, cut apart, taken apart, or thrown away. I really only keep, I would like, it's kind of, a, I think in art school, I never forget my, this one professor had told me for every five paintings that you do, four will be meh or horrible. And one will be good that you actually will like in a few years. And I find that's the case that most of my work in the moment, like, oh my goodness, I love it, I love it, I love it. And then a few months later, I'm like, oh, I can't believe I made that, I can't believe I made that. I don't want anybody to see that I've done that. And that, but there's always one that I will like and will always like. And that's a great thing because it's showing that I'm pushing myself, I'm constantly growing. If I loved everything I did from day one, then I'm not doing enough to explore and figure things out. It just would be a sign that I'm not pushing myself enough. So I do like it when I'm only satisfied with a small percentage of my work a few months down the road. And I think if I kept on to everything, yeah. it wouldn't allow me mentally 
to keep going. If I kept everything stored and yeah. uh, on display, then I'm not sure that I would give myself that freedom to wipe a slate and keep trying something new. So it's very important for me to not keep most of the work. And then if I um, throw it away or cut it apart or reuse it, it's not tempting to, to, to reuse and go back, so to speak. It only allows me to keep going forward. And I know a lot of people always like, how can you do that? But I have to do that. Otherwise, I'm not going to I'm not going to give myself that opportunity to see where this 3D is going to go. Gotcha. That's a good point. Um, I, I just know I can't store it all. I have a very small studio. And my husband keeps saying like, why do you keep bringing more stuff into our home? <laughs> so I've just been like, I, that's probably one of the biggest things that stops me from going full like 3D because I go yeah. like, I don't know what I would do with it because I can't, I literally can't store it all and you can't, I mean, no. it's not practical. It's um, not. And I don't have a very big space at all. So it's the same. And I, it's funny because it's a big uh, battle within myself when I'm working in 3D as I, and I've noticed as I've gotten into my late forties, I've become even more and more into the streamlined living where I like less and less clutter. I've been noticing that I I want more open, clean spaces around me. And it's a complete contrast to the way I work in 3D. So I have this fight within me where I'm making this 3D world, but then I'm agitated at the same time because I can't stand the piles. I'm a messy creator. So it's just been this really interesting experience where I have a love and hate relationship because I can't stand mess and clutter. And like I, have, I feel like I can't breathe because my room isn't big enough to really just spread out, yet I can't not make 3D work. So uh, it's kind of fascinating. <laughs> fascinating. <laughs> well, all of your efforts has paid off. I go like if um, I could go back into time and if I could purchase one of your books and read it to my son when he was at that age where he liked picture books, he and I would be just enthralled because there are just so many little things that you go and you just point out and like for even adults who read books to their children it's just something that's, it's such a, you, you feel like it's such an art form of what you created. So, yeah. Oh, thank you. I know. I think it's just, I love, I mean, I grew up in England and there were a lot of books that I had very British books, such big, and I grew up with Paddington Bear and the, um, for the television show that had come out when I was young, I loved these miniature worlds that were just imaginary worlds that I wish I could live in. And I'm always like, oh, I wish I could live there, or I wish I could live in a town like that. So I think that's what I'm recreating now when I'm creating picture books, is just trying to create these worlds that you just would want to go and visit. <laughs> well, it just, I, I definitely, um, I feel like I could go to those places. They feel so real. I, I know the characters are like the little drawn and they're cut out, but I just feel like, oh my gosh, I just want to reach in and just grab that little book off the bookcase. I don't want to open it. And uh, yeah, that's, it's just, um, it's delightful. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to see the, I, I would say the epitome, like the height of 
creating these aesthetic interiors will be with this latest one with written by Elaine Vickers called Thankful. And I think I shared a couple sneak peeks with you earlier. Um, it hasn't gone public yet. I think at the end of January, that cover will be online and then people will be able to get a little bit of what's going to be coming in the fall. That one I really love in the sense that I got to explore with interiors and just furniture and lighting and even though lighting has been present in the previous work, this one I just I really got to play with just home interiors in a way that I feel super connected to and I'm really excited for that one to come out. My next question is about the Little Senses series. So I gravitated towards those illustrations um, on your portfolio, on your website, because I was like, oh, the expression and the gesture in the character. Um, it was the one with the little boy with the alligator outfit on and um, you could kind of see he was going through this ups and downs and I, I just was very drawn to that. Can you talk a little bit about, because you also wrote that, um, and it highlights autism and just the kind of uh, different types of autism there are. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the inspiration behind the, the books and the illustrations? Yeah, so the Little Senses series, the fourth one will be coming out this March called It Was Supposed to Be Sunny, which is about unexpected change and how to cope when the known gets shifted all of a sudden and how do you handle uh, how do you handle moments where plans don't go as expected that's the fourth one in this series okay. that I started I think it was first published almost two years ago I believe is when the first one came out and it's a series geared for kids on the autism spectrum who may have also sensory processing disorder or any sensitivities regarding sensory issues. Uh, myself, I have Asperger's and sensory sensitivities and I thought, and I people close to me as well, and I wanted to create a series of books for families and kids that were without labels and without any qualitative adjectives that would be approachable for any family that has um, children that may be facing struggles with sensory issues or just seeing a world in a different way that illustrating in a very simple and straightforward approach may help connect with those kids and readers alike. Um, and just. I wanted to create works that didn't feel clinical and that were approachable and entertaining at the same time. And that's where The Little Census was born. Well, I um, definitely plan to check out those books because as a, as a teacher, I used to teach elementary school and we get a wide variety of students. And I think for students who may come in contact with other students who have autism, if you're not it's hard at a young age to kind of understand all these different things and different types of people that we meet. And I think books like this is a way to introduce it into a classroom setting and kind of talk about it in a way that um, with kids, with very young children, so that they can kind of understand, well, this is kind of where maybe 
the reason, like kind of what they're going through. And it kind of for empathy and understanding. I found my very young students, they, whenever I read a children's book to them, they were just, even the most fidgety child would be like, oh, she's going to read us a book and we're going to make some artwork. And they would just perfectly, everything goes so silent. And then they just become very focused. And I, and I found that fascinating because even though today we're in a very smartphone, um, watch a cartoon, you know, YouTube and all these things, a children's book resonates with the youngest child. They would get so excited. I mean, it was, it was so amazing. And then they could go to different worlds and places that, yeah, you know, would yeah. never... And well, and I think with this series, I also was aiming towards for kids that may not be, not all children are really open with their diagnoses and may be reluctant to read a book if it has this very big label of, uh, you have like the autistic child, like it may not be as approachable. And I just wanted to make it something that can be a conversation starter in a way that's uh safe and welcoming and just comforting the stories themselves also really focus on the importance of the role of the caregiver of speaking in very short sentences very limited just respecting that idea as well as there's only so much input that a child may be able to take at once and just trying to really put every aspect that I could think of into these books to create that connective world for readers was really, really important to me. So I was really glad and just honored that Penguin, um, my editors at Dial Books for Young Readers, really just had the excitement to go with me on this journey and pick it up as a four-book series. So I was, I was really excited to be able to get that chance to to test this out and do this and put this out in the world. And Dolly Parton had picked up The Speech is Loud for her Imagination Library last year. And that book went out to almost 400,000 homes. And that was just a real huge honor for me to just know that it was just uh, um, that so many kids were going to have access to these books. So it's been really a great journey. Well, uh, that's, uh, I think that's awesome that you were able to get stories like that out there because um, I think there's, it, it's great when we have a variety of different kinds of books that we can pull from. Um, as far as from, um, I guess, talking from more of a teacher standpoint, because you don't really know about, you know, it's kind of like you kind of get what you, you see in the, your library that you have at the school, but it's um, great when, um, I guess, when, you can find those other books that might bring different perspectives and different light to um, classroom. And it just, uh, yeah, I just, yeah, I would definitely use um, that series of books if um, I was teaching in elementary, um, an art room and have the kids um, explore and see like a different side of other people that are out there. So I- Well, and I think, I think that I've learned from this whole experience of creating books is there's always been that um, importance in seeing that window of kids being able to see themselves represented in books this is so and it's just it's so important to have and I've been really trying to be conscientious of that with every book I'm making and 
I did not realize how much attention I was going to get in such a moving way from like the speech is loud while it was mainly a story that's for kids with sensory sensitivities and on the spectrum, I did have a child, there's a scene on the beach where there's a girl just running across the beach with a beach ball, just part of the scenery. And she, I put a diabetic patch on her arm. So I've got a lot of friends with kids that have diabetes and I felt like these kids, all kids need to see themselves represented, just typical scenarios, just day-to-day life. And I have gotten so many emails from that image alone from parents and through their kids of noticing that little patch. And I cannot tell you how many families told me that this was the first time they'd ever seen a book with a child showing a diabetic patch and their kids ran to them screaming saying i'm in a book i'm in a book look at me i'm in a book and i i had gone in that with the intention of always trying to think of ways that i can include as many kids as possible and i but i did not foresee how much reaction i was going to get in such a beautiful way from that just little moment that it really made me even more conscientious with every book forward of every time now with every book, even more so. It's like, what can I do? What can I do? What little subtleties can I do that just really naturally and organically make books that can reach to as many kids possible? So it's it's been quite eye-opening and a really educational experience for me as well. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for explaining that. Um, I'm coming down to some of the final questions. I just, um, this has been amazing. I learned so much in just a short time talking to you. Um, I was wondering, so how are your clients finding your work? You know, um, I didn't know if you do as much promotion or you found certain things that help get your work out there to the type of publishers you want to work with. Yeah, I well, I have an agent, a wonderful agent, uh, Kirsten Hall of Catbird. And so she's been the one that has really made those connections for me with publishers. And I'm now at, at that point where I'm on, uh, I, think, I guess, think I said I'm on book 13, maybe. So I've kind of gotten to that point now where I've developed a relationship with some publishers, uh, a great relationship with my agent. And that's kind of primarily where the reaching out has occurred. I used to do a lot more promoting or oh, through social media. And since made the decision to leave, I used to be on Instagram and Twitter and just trying to put my work out there. But for me personally, it had become a self-reflective moment where I was starting to question why was I really posting every day and seeing that it was for me becoming a little bit of a hindrance where especially with for social media if I was putting work out I was starting to get too involved in checking it so often and seeing what the response was and seeing how many people liked that picture that it was not becoming I wasn't doing it for the right reasons anymore. And it also was prohibiting perhaps the necessary growth that an image needed to go through. Mm -hmm. So for 
example, if I put an image up and you'd get the positive reactions of, oh, this looks great, we love it, then in subconsciously I think, okay, it's done, it looks good. Wow. And I'm not pushing myself enough to really sit back and go, wait, is this really where it needs to go? Do I need to play with this some more? And I have since found when I kind of backed off from that and really gone into my own kind of space that my work has grown a lot more because I've just given myself the ability to really, really look, listen, and see where the work needed to go. And I'm not saying that that's for everybody, but for me, even though at the time it seemed like a tough decision, because I'm like, well, how am I going to stay relevant if nobody sees me? It was a really important move to make. I still have my website on my books. My website's there. And if you need to see me, you can reach out to me through, and I will send a newsletter out. And I'm learning that that for me is just perfect balance to enable me to keep my focus, to keep creating in a way that fits my main goal, which is creating books to get into the hands of kids. And I need the time to be able to do that. So that's where I am currently. Well, that's a very good point. I do feel like um, it's a lot of promoting nowadays. I feel like it just takes up so much time. And then I'm like doing certain things that I go like, oh, I really would, should be drawing or I should be, or, you know, practicing and proving my craft or I don't know, doing, you know, yeah, yeah, that's where I get a little bit like, and, and like what you said about sometimes is it the right reason that you're putting it out there? And is it really, if it's not improving the work that you're trying to do or the artist or the illustrator you're trying to be, then it's, yeah, then it might keep you in a place that doesn't allow you to grow. Sure. And I think it's also just understanding your own, uh, what you can handle yourself. And like for me, while it's great for connecting with other artists, I know that personally, I have to be very careful that I don't look too much at other people's work where I start to feel the imposter syndrome and start to have self-doubt and think I'm not any good, like so-and-so, so much better. Look at them, look at them. And there's a line where looking for inspiration can cross over into causing um, you to <laughs> maybe lose the confidence and that shouldn't really be happening. So for me, I just, I know that I, I'm too susceptible to that. And that's something that I have to be very careful of. Um, so for me, Instagram was kind of a great avenue for sharing work and seeing other work, but it also, I think, gave me too many opportunities to stop and question myself or just take up too much time. <laughs> no, like it just was for me personally what worked best. That's great. So how do you balance your work and your actual personal life? Because, you know, you do these beautiful illustrations, very um, time intensive, like do you have certain working hours? Because I'm struggling with the whole work-life balance thing. I find I tend to be, with the pandemic, kind of a workaholic because I'm so at home now. Yeah. Was, the dream was to become, like, be able to work on my artwork and go to graduate school. And now I'm like, 
oh, my family is kind of knocking on the studio, or what, are you ever coming out? Like, I, I don't know, how, do you have any advice? Yeah, no, well, I'm in a different, I will say, um, it's tough, because especially when the kids are younger, it was definitely more of a situation where I would try to, pre-pandemic, of course, while I would try to work while they were at school, and then knowing that once they came home from school, there was really no ability to focus. And then usually by the time they got to bed, there would always be these ideas of when they go to bed, I'm going to work. Then I would always crash and be too tired. So I just, I knew realistically, I would just do what I could when I could and know that at some point that time will come where I will be able to have more freedom to focus and and uh, that time's going to come before you know it. And then you're going to miss those times where uh, you didn't have as much time because your kids were younger. And I'm now at that situation where my kids are a senior. I have a senior in high school and a sophomore in high school. Um, sure, it's still a little hard to focus in the sense that they're home all day right now due to virtual learning. But they're high schoolers and they're in their room pretty much all day doing their schooling. And then when they're not schooling, they're just kind of doing their own thing, even though we are all at home. And my husband's a professor and he's doing most of his work at home as well. I am used to having the house to myself. It seems to be when I work best. So it's been a transition of trying to get into that headspace because even with teenagers at home, as I'm sure you know, you'll get like you'll get interrupted if something you, quite a bit sometimes when they need something or you have to check in on them, that still occurs. And I know after pandemic, that'll be a lot different, but I'm just, I'm in a different boat because my teenagers are pretty independent. So I'm noticing that that freedom is actually of being able to just work uh, when it hits or when I feel really productive, I have a much easier time now being able to do that because of the age they're at now. That's great. I mean, I, um, but I sympathize with the virtual learning at home. It's the, the knock at the, the internet is too slow. I can't, yeah. what's going on? Why can't this work? And that's, yeah, that's I mean, it's panic. definitely, I think it's very hard to, yeah. I, I, it's very hard to get in the zone. I, I've noticed that if I, I need a good to, two hours of non-interrupted time to get into the zone and that it's just probably not going to really happen until well I know my older one will be going to college soon but once this pandemic is over and they're kind of in their spaces at school then I'll be able to because while they're very independent at home it's like what you said there's been days where it's just the internet keeps crashing or I need there's something not printing on the paper can and on the printer can you help me or blah blah like there's just something throughout or you're even just thinking about them knowing like oh, okay they're in class right now I know they have a test right now or I, I don't know how much they think you just as a mom I'm just always thinking about where they are what they need kind of thing so I don't know if that part ever turns off in your brain until they actually leave <laughs> leave the house <laughs> Well, on to the last question. It's um, basically, if you could go back in a time machine and tell yourself some advice about this art, art journey that you've been on um, that would um, help you out, what would that be? Oh, let's see. I guess some of my advice would just be that it's 
like that it's okay if your work is just horrible at first like your work is not going to be good at first when you start creating for the first time yeah your pieces are not going to be great <laughs> and that's okay because you need to go through the journey and you need to experience you need to fail at things you need to try stuff you need to throw things out but you just keep at it and if you feel that passion and excitement and you're kind of know where you want to be the main thing is that with every drawing you do every every sketch you throw out you're closing that gap from where you started to where you really kind of know where you want to be in your brain and you'll get there but you have to you have to close that gap to getting to that final that destination and i don't i'm hoping that final destination is somewhere that's just off the needle that I'll keep trying to work towards that through the rest of my working days. But every day that I work is closing that gap and you will get better. And it's something to be excited about. And it's quite fun years from now when you look back at your work and you see just how much you've grown and uh, just to kind of enjoy the journey, even though you'll probably have a lot of moments <laughs> of like wanting to give up, but don't give up and just keep at it. It's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for all of your advice and thank you for taking the time to speak with me about your work. Um, and uh, I hope everybody will please check out Samantha's uh, website. Can you say your website? I just want to make sure I get it correct. Yeah, it's basically just my name.com. So samanthacotterell.com. Great. Well, um, everybody, thank you for listening to My Creative Life. Great. Thank you so much for having me.